Hello, my name is Jason and welcome to DesignCast. It's a podcast where I interview a wide range of guests and ask the question, how do you design education? Why is this important? Students all learn differently and need varied teaching methods to be successful. It is more important now than ever to accommodate and personalize education for all students as much as possible. I use my 25 years of experience as an educator to ask questions and to learn about the exciting things people are doing to provide for all students and their unique perspectives. Each episode, I chat with guests from all over the world, from classroom teachers, authors, consultants, and beyond. We chat around a range of topics that we feel are important right now. Will you join me in this journey to learn and grow together? If it's your first time here, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to check it out. If you like this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, and download from your preferred podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by new listeners. Also, please use the hashtag DesignCast when discussing your thoughts and feedback on your favorite social media platform to connect with me. I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. So let's get on with the episode. Welcome back to another episode of DesignCast. Today, I'm so fortunate to have James Abella with me. James, how are you? I'm brilliant, thank you. I've just started my Christmas holidays, and uh, it's a fantastic opportunity to speak to you. I've been dying to do this for ages. I feel like I'm a a true edu celebrity now. You paid me too big a compliment. Thank you, James. That's very kind of you. And uh, yeah, I've been meaning to get you on, and it's so great that we finally are able to connect and 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 do this. I'm really excited to hear what you have to share. And so, James, if you don't mind, can you give us a little introduction to some of your background and what you're doing now? Yeah, um, so I'm a second career teacher. My first career, I worked for a company called Arm. They designed microchips. You've probably heard of things like the iPhone and Android phones. Uh, they designed both of those chips and they designed the M1 Max, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my first job. Obviously, I am very techie by nature. So I became a computer science teacher. Admittedly, I started with a bit of business and economics and IT. But then as the curriculum developed and as I got a hand in actually developing that career a little bit, I got into it. And really, my big thing was I was really, really worried that computing and teaching coding would be like a really bad maths lesson. Yeah, not the good maths teachers, because I'm sure they exist, but the really bad maths teachers whose idea of is get your page open, do these exercises. And I thought you're dying of boredom because it's way too easy or they haven't bothered to explain how this formula works and it's beyond you. And so that was my real worry back in 2015. Back in 2015, I was like, well, How can I do something about this? And I'd done a course on gamification at one of the US universities, just an online MOOC, back when they were free and gave you certificates and everything. And it was, you know, it was a really good course, but it wasn't aimed at education in the slightest. It was a full business course. And uh, yeah, it was a, a brilliant idea and had a lot of things. And, you know, gamification has been around in business for many years. I mean, you know, if we go back in the UK, we go back to the Tesco club card which was this little card in a loyalty scheme. I'm sure that various schemes around in the US, Air Miles, another example of a, a scheme with it, and the hotels. So yeah, 
my idea was, right, well, let's, let's gamify coding. Let's turn it into a game as much as we can. And that's, that's where I got started. And uh, then, of course, in lockdown, got to do something useful, so I write a book. And obviously, I had plenty of time to write a book. It became a bestseller. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back in a way. But in another way, I'm just glad I've managed to share it with as many teachers as I have. I think it's one of those things that it isn't something I would... Now, I'm going to be straight up. Unlike most people who tell you that it's a panacea for education, it's the next big thing and it will change your life. It will do all of those things, but only if you're already quite good at teaching. And I think that's that's the key thing, right? If you don't have the basic subject knowledge, the basic ability to get on and have relationships with your students, this isn't the thing to do. This is what you should do once you've got to a certain level of teaching. You've got a basic knowledge of the curriculum and you're looking to up your game. This is what takes those teachers. One of the things that they've said in a lot of the research is that teachers peak after three years because they've got all their enthusiasm, they've done really well, and they've got this core knowledge. This is that point where you say, well, actually, you can get better than that. Okay, but not before that. That's a lot to unpack, <laughs> James. I appreciate you know, that. Well, yeah. just get, you know, I, I, got, I got half an hour. I've got to make sure you get 30 minutes of value. I love it, man. That's awesome. You know, I, I have to agree that good teaching is good teaching. And unless you have yeah. those foundational bones, it's very difficult to add on top of a, a shaky foundation, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's definitely true, what you've said. And so tell me a little bit about how you go about preparing teachers or, or a classroom for transitioning to more of a gamification model. Well, I mean, I always recommend that, that there are bits and pieces that you can do without any risk, right? There are things you can do that are fun, that won't have any real consequences um, in your classroom. But there are also things that if you do them wrongly, you're going to make things worse, right? Now, let me give you a good example of gamification, which can go really badly wrong, right? Singapore has been into gamification for the last 50 years. 50 years, brilliant. Yes, they rank all of their students from 1 to 25. And can you imagine how demotivational that is for those kids who are below 5? And that's why I'm saying that gamification isn't risk-free, but that's what you've got to do. Yes, that ranking information is extremely useful for the teachers, but you don't want to be telling everybody their rank. You know, in any video game, you'll motivate the top 5% and demotivate 95%. So this is why I'm like, I wrote a book because I think it's important to look at the pros and cons and look at the, the things that are good. I mean, some of the things that work really well are changing grades to points. If I give you 100 points, you're going to feel good about that. If I give you one lousy mark, you don't feel quite so good about that, did you? Even though it's completely the same thing, right? I've given you 100 points. I've given you 25 points. I've given you 50 points. Yeah. You feel good. You got points. And also for coding, it says, I've managed to achieve something, but there are more points to go. A lot of grades are percentages or out of 100. So you don't get that feeling. You don't get that growth mindset going of, yeah, I've done that. Now I'm going to grow a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and get bigger and better. And that's one of the things that you can really do straight away. The other thing that you can do really straight away is differentiation. You know, you can create levels. And I always like to use bronze, silver, gold, and I used to use platinum, but I bet 
You're a Minecraft fan, right? You know what's more valuable than that. Also, the problem is that silver and platinum are the same color, and you want something black. So that's why uh, we go with the Minecraft for those kind of things. Some people put chili levels, like one to three chilies or one to five chilies. Oh, okay. And it's a really good way of encouraging students to take on challenge, but also suggesting a real difficulty level. And I think that's really useful, particularly where students, sometimes if they're going to take on something difficult, it feels good to take on something difficult if you like that kind of hard fun. But also some students are like, I can't handle this. It's going to be frustration. And it's all about trying to achieve that status of flow, that proper Goldilocks principle, not too hard, not too simple. And so that's where your levels can help. And you know what? Your students, if you get them to be more self-aware of their abilities, then they will actually help you to assess themselves and also to maximize their learning. And I think that's the real challenge. Eventually, they'll do the gap analyses for you. You know, they will tell you what they need to learn, what their next steps are and where they're at if if you get them self-motivated. And, you know, we look at Dillian Williams. He's all about that. And I think that's just a really nice way to package it. We look at other things. We look at the stories. We look at challenges. We look at providing context. All of those things are really good things to do. They're, they're all fantastic. They're not going to do any harm. It's not going to do you any harm to know how this might be useful in real life. You know, again, that bad maths lesson where you like, hey, learn this. I don't know why you're going to learn it. Just got to learn it. I'm like, it's on the exam. You know, there's a rank order of reasons to learn things. And in my mind, that's not the rank order other teachers think of. What's the number one reason to learn something? Well, number one, it is fun. And it's number one. If it's fun, you don't have to justify it in any way, shape or form, right? Number two, it's useful. If it can't be fun, at least it can be useful, right? And this is where I differ from other teachers. Number three, absolute worst case scenario. For some reason, I've got to teach it. It's on the exam. I'm going to give you a, the biggest shock of your life. Are you ready for this? Are you I'm ready. absolutely I'm ready down. for this? Okay. You sit down here. Make sure you sit down. You're comfy. You can't fall off, right? Examiners are people too. They must have had some reason for putting it in the exam. Now, it may not be your reason. They may really enjoy geology and looking at rock shapes or whatever it is that they enjoy doing. But they had a reason for putting it in. And at least you can say, well, the examiner thought this would be nice. Yeah. I mean, we all know what examiners think is fun and the rest of us think is fun might be two very different things. But at least there's that. And I think the other thing that is difficult to do, but is always going to do well, is real-time feedback. And the simplest example of that are things like Google Forms that auto-mark immediately tell you what's right and wrong. Easy stuff, going to be a win-win-win. I can talk all day about this. And in fact, you can tell I can talk all day about this because I put a book together. But if I say to take one thing away from this, I would say, Stop giving a miserable one point. Give 10, 15, 20 points. You might as well. There's no harm in it. And similarly, give people a reason for learning. I mean, surely yeah. that's not rocket science. You know, it's, uh, yeah. So that's, that's those are some of the key things that, that I would say. And, you know, I always think that giving people levels and having fun with things and, you know, having challenges, I think those are really important. I also... And I think this is why the design cast is so important, is well-designed badges. They can be very motivational to award a badge. Hey, you've done it. I mean, the scouts had it right. 
you know, your water badge, you pin it on, you do it, right? I mean, in the army, people literally, you know, are motivated for the very, very dangerous things. And I'm not saying it's the main motivation. Of course it isn't. You want to keep the world safe, but it is a well-known method of motivation that is going to encourage people in the best of situations. And so those are things that I think are super important. And, you know, it doesn't have to be difficult to do gamification, right? We've all played Kahoot. We've all played Quizlet and Headbuzzle and Quizzes. These are all things that we can do on a, on a fairly regular basis. The only problem with those three, for the most part, is that you can't rely on the data afterwards. You know, I found one of the things inside of my book is that if you give a Google form, students will take that seriously. If you give a Kahoot or a Quizzes, the data you get back at best is indicative, right? It's beautiful. It's detailed. But it's as detailed as my walking monitor, you know? Yes, it's counted, but I'm not <laughs> sure it counted them right, you know? And you've got four choices. 25% of the time, you're going to get it right by blind luck, right? It's just by clicking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get it right by clicking. So, you know, these are things that, 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 that we take into account. And I think it's all just really good fun. And it is. I mean, you know, gamification, you could do in little bits just to pipe it up. But the other thing I want to say to you is gamification is for those things that students might not be already motivated to do. If your student makes beautiful drawings and beautiful pictures and they enjoy making those pictures, that's not the thing to gamify. They're getting that creative buzz out of that already. And this, you know, creativity is its own thing. It is not gamification. If if you are creative and you're enjoying do this and you're getting satisfaction from that, if you're writing a wonderful story, you don't need to gamify that because that's their creativity. And that's another thing that I think is important is knowing when to gamify and when not to gamify and also knowing the differences and which motivation is and having a really clear idea between extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, right? I could give you 50 of the most boring lessons in the world. And if you are intrinsically motivated, you will do them anyway. Okay. What we're trying to do is reach those kids who are not already super intrinsically motivated and use extrinsic motivation to build that intrinsic motivation. Now, there are arguments that nothing is ever completely intrinsic, but it's a black box, right? You can't see inside, you know. So if they're doing it and for whatever reason, you know, uh, then fair enough. And I've had some very strange motivational reasons why kids do things. But if they're doing the right thing, you don't need to ask questions. You can just let them get on with it and let them have a great day. You know, one of the greatest lessons in one of my students' lives was a lesson where I literally turned up, said hello. I was silent for an hour. I was the most bored teacher on the planet. But I made these really, really nice resources. The student was getting on. They were wonderfully creative. They were really enjoying the experience and they were learning the application and they were having a fantastic time. At the end of the lesson, despite me having said nothing and done nothing in the lesson, but obviously done a lot of preparation for that lesson, they said, that was the best lesson I've ever had. I said, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And you're like, I was bored out. Absolutely bored sick. <laughs> you know, that that is that is the way of things, right? It is It is all about that. And it's about, but what they had was an absolute state of flow. They were in the zone, they were learning, and they were reacting to those materials. And 
as teachers, yes, telling stories is a great motivator for a lot of students, but it's not the only motivator. And being a sage on the stage, I rarely speak for more than five minutes at the front of my class. I, I understand the students generally don't want to listen to adults for more than five, 10 minutes. And in those five, 10 minutes, you've got to make it interesting, fun, and exciting and explain things clearly. Having said that, some people will argue I can speak for 45 minutes, but if that's a five minute video that they've rewound and rewound and rewound, you know, bottom line is they chose to rewind it. And if they can skip through it in two minutes, fair play They if they can do that. And, you know, these are the challenges we all face. Yeah, it is always about design. It's about making things accessible. When we look at the basics, you know, we've all done it. We've all seen teachers who've thrown a PowerPoint together that you think, you know what? Why didn't you just give that out as a document? If they're going to have to read that ton of text, what was the point? You've actually made a ton of text worse by displaying it on there and making it difficult for people to read. Now, I have a big advantage when it comes to these things. I'm pretty much blind these days. My distance vision is nothing. Every student in the class was looking at me like I was the dopiest person on the planet. I said, oh, students, can you read this? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> they all looked at me like it was, you know. Oh, man. Yes, everybody can read this, right? And I'm like, well, you know, that's good slide design because now everybody can read it apart from me. So I better get a bit closer to the board, you know. And I admittedly, I went to the back to see if it was readable. <laughs> uh, but apparently what's readable for me is not yeah. the same as everybody else. <laughs> There's a, a spectrum, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, those letters need to be at least oh, yeah, that's great, yeah. 30 centimeters high to read. I think that's just reasonable. At, yeah, at yeah, least. yeah. I, I, well, <laughs> like a street right, sign. Yeah. I get it, if man. You can't put it on a t shirt. <laughs> you shouldn't be putting it on a Google slide or a PowerPoint. <laughs> oh, oh, that's <laughs> and right. You really shouldn't. You <laughs> that's know. funny. And man. in my case, you really, really shouldn't. Oh. But, you know, it's. Um, <laughs> That's funny, James. You know, it is it is one of those things. And yeah. Yeah. But what I will say is that, you know, we talk about a lot of things, but honestly, students like stories. They like animated stories because you've got the image, the sound, and the visuals working together. I mean, a lot of people get misconceptions, you know, good old fact that apparently nobody understood. Everybody thought it made sense and just went with it. But actually... What we want to be looking at is a multi-sensory approach because the more you can get students interested in it, the better it's going to happen, right? And the bottom line is, however interesting, fun, exciting we make our lessons, at the end of the day, they're going to sit in a room, they're going to write an exam. In many cases, that's, you know, that's very true. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I've, I've seen it over and over um, now, the downside to this sort of approach is is even muscle memory with yeah. writing with a pencil or a pen when they're having actually the exam. A lot of kids can't sustain that, uh, you know, that yeah. long-term writing. I think about some of the DP exams and different things and A-levels or whatever, having to write those things out, they can't They can't do it. Well, I, I, I would be honest. When I used to teach economics and, and, and the results differ by exam board, et cetera, um, I realized that the only test I had to pass to get my students typing was all I needed to say was it was their normal way of working. Well, funny enough, my whole class's normal way of working was typing. So literally all of the class were in the laptops together. And you know what was funny? Technically, that's a special need. 
But when your whole class is doing it, it's no longer considered a special need, right? Everybody's doing it. It's That's, that's you know, exactly and I, right. I know the DP are trying to work towards that. And I know other exam boards are tougher about that. But I think, is writing really a skill? Now, I would say at the younger years, fine motor skills are important, yes. But as kids get older, I mean, my handwriting is deteriorated to nothing. I don't write anything if I can avoid it. But I think, you know, just being able to type and it won't be, well, let's be honest, we've already got Siri. So, you know, that need to do extended writing is long gone in terms of actually having to handwrite it. However, thanks to uh, new chatbots in GPT and things like that, got even better news for you. We're going to go back to good old-fashioned exams because, let's be honest, it's the only one where they're not allowed to use the internet. That's right. They know they, it's not going to be the AI doing it for them. I, 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 I know that's, yeah. I think, that's my worry now is it's going to swing back the other direction and Oh man, James, you gave me a lot yeah. there to think about. So let's 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 suppose I'm like a um, a primary aged yes. school teacher. How do I take steps to very simply gamify a lesson for some students? I mean, I think primary primary teachers are really good at this in in, in a lot of ways. You know, being able to tell a story, I think, is is such an essential skill, and that's just a little gamification. I mean. You know, in video games, we talk about plot driven. So bringing in a story, bringing in human relationships with things and, and relating it to the students, personalizing it, those are things that I would say are essential. And, you know, a lot of us, we talk about the journey. I think you know what the plot of an archetypal journey is. And when you look at something like the journey, think about that in terms of your actual lessons, in terms of a unit of lessons, if you want to kind of take it that that far but otherwise what i would say is honestly having fun playing play-based learning those are all fantastic things that primary teachers don't lose that because that's a lot of fun having puzzles and some kids they like a bit of hard fun where they've got to struggle and go for it and that goes all the way down to the younger years and especially when you're teaching things like computational thinking it's about having puzzles it's about having fun and it's about getting kids to think. And I think those are all things that you can do very quickly and very easily, you know, without completely radically changing your lessons. But also, you know, pick a unit. I also say pick the worst unit because that's the one in most need of gamification, right? That's the one that clearly the kids are not relating to. And give it a go because if they already don't enjoy it, well, what's the harm in playing around with it, you know? No loss, exactly. No loss. Yeah. But you'll be surprised how many times people have read my book and said, actually, the worst unit is now the best unit. So now I have to do the second worst or the third worst. Mm. And actually, yeah. <laughs> I've sucked you in there, haven't I, a little bit? Gamify the gamification that's process. Great. You know. No, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's yeah. That's what I would say to you is, is just look at those basic concepts. And, you know, I do come up with a bunch of frameworks to really help you through it in the book in terms of, of the way. Um, yeah, and if you're in sociology, for instance, nudge theory is a really good way to think about it. Um, so I think that's a good way to do it. Definitely. That's great advice, James. Thank you so much for that. And and I think a lot of people listening, um, it's grown beyond the design mm -hmm. education world, I think. There's a lot of people listening who are from lots of different um, areas and things. So I think the idea of gamification 
especially now having come from um, a, a, a really um, out of the box hey. time for a lot of teachers to have to flip their classrooms before they yeah, were ready to flip I mean, the classrooms, uh, yeah. right? To, to have to move into a situation like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there were quite a lot of good tools and there was a lot of goodwill to help people do that. But I, I just really hope that people don't just go back to really old-fashioned lessons. For those, but then some of those teachers, I have a strong feeling, if I'm absolutely honest, the good teachers made the effort and they'll still be good teachers back in the classroom. Those bad teachers probably just transferred whatever they were doing, boring PowerPoints or whatever it is they were doing, and just put them online, you know. So it's it's always the classic. And we always have that problem that good teachers get better and better and better, and, and the middle stay the same. And then, of course, the worst, they're the ones who struggle and perhaps end up in disciplinary, et cetera. So, you know, this is about getting that teacher who's who's done well, in their third year and just keeping that enthusiasm really going and making them the very, very best teacher they can be. James, you've given me so much to think about and so much to reflect upon, man. That This is, this is I know we could talk all night, uh, but this has just been so awesome to chat with you about this. And so if people want to find out more about you or your book, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm always available on Twitter until that disappears. But, you know, yeah, uh, there's always LinkedIn. Um, and, um, if you type James Abella into Google, my page is, is right there for you. So, um, but yeah, I, I would recommend, um, having a look at the book and as I say, easiest way is definitely Twitter, just at ESL web, just type the name James Abella Twitter. I'll be straight there. And I have one last question for you, James, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self? I'd, how far back do I get to go till I was like 18? <laughs> you, you get to pick, okay. you get to pick, man. Fine. <laughs> Bye Google. Buy Apple and do it yeah. right now. Yeah, got to game the, the system Gump every which way. Right? Investing in the fruit company. <laughs> wow, that's oh, amazing. No, Apple, Apple was oh, around James, when I was that's younger. awesome. Google would be the one to watch out for. But yeah. I was like 18, 19. That's right. I, maybe I, if, if I got a few words, I'd say, ignore AltaVista. There's going to be something coming along called Google. Oh, Invest yeah. <laughs> every last penny you've got into it. Yeah. And everything you've got in that. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> All right, James. Listen, thank you so much. I would love to chat with you again at some point, but uh, thank you. This has just been really amazing, and I really do appreciate so much of your time. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We'll see you on the next episode. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. Again, I'm Jason. I am the creator and host and one-man band when it comes to this podcast. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. And please share it with your colleagues and friends and help me network with those folks who you think will benefit from listening to this podcast. If you own a company or you have connections where you would like to partner with me in this podcast, whether it be sponsorship or product reviews or any other possible services, please reach out to me. My contact information is in the show notes and I cannot wait to hear from you. I only do this because I love talking to people and I love sharing my passion with all the listeners 
So if you are interested in possibly being a future guest, please reach out and get in touch. I can't wait to hear from you. I really want to hear about how this podcast and its guests are helping you become better or to enrich your lives. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be good to one another.